0: say that today. If not, I hope you'll say it by the time that we're finished with our service today. You can be opening your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 20 as we continue taking a fresh look at the Ten Commandments. And then also, if you would find the book of Ephesians chapter four and put a marker there in Ephesians chapter four, will be there in just a little bit as well. But Exodus chapter 20, while you're finding that. I understand the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service, once received a note that said, Dear Sirs, I've enclosed a check for $150. I cheated on my income tax last year and I haven't been able to sleep since. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest of the money next year. Now, beloved, that's funny and sad all at the same time, but I think it's an accurate reflection upon our society. We live in a very, very dishonest world. We live in a sin-filled world. I wonder, how many of you ladies have ever uh, accidentally left your purse behind, maybe at a restaurant or a similar place? Let me see your hand. How many of you left your purse behind? All right. Uh, I know it's happened in our marriage at least once. At least once, Danielle has uh, left her purse behind. But uh, when that happens, what is your first thought? What is your reaction? Do you say something like this? Well, I'm sure everything will be fine. I'm sure some honest person will find my purse. They will take it immediately to the manager of the establishment who will take the purse, then place it in the safe and await our arrival very soon soon where they will check and make sure that I am who I say that I am. They'll retrieve my purse and everything will be fine and we'll live happily ever after. Is that what you're thinking when you leave your purse behind? Now, be honest. What do you really think? You think, oh, no, oh, no, I, I, it's gone. I'm sure it's gone forever. What was in there? My checkbook, I'm in my credit card, my driver's like, they've got our address. They've got our house keys. Honey, what are you going to do? That, that, that's how we respond. Why? Because we know there are plenty of thieves out there. There are plenty of folks who will happily help you with your purse and, and take care of your purse for you. We live in a world filled with theft. Thefts of all kinds. And if ever again, if, if there ever were a day where we need the Ten Commandments, it is today. The Eighth Commandment, you have found Exodus 20 by now, is found there in verse number 15. Where it says very simply these words, plainly, clearly and boldly, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. The Eighth Commandment. Now, before we unpack the Eighth Commandment, I think we need to do a quick review. Uh, Maybe it's been a while uh, since you've uh, really thought about what we've talked about so far. Uh, Maybe you're here for the very first time today. But let's go ahead and unpack and, and look at the Eighth Commandment in just a moment. But let's review real quickly. We've covered seven commands. We talked about how the Ten Commandments can be divided into two sets or two groups. Commands one through four deal mostly with our relationship with God, our vertical relationship, uh, where we have those first four commands. And then commands five through ten deal mostly with our horizontal relationships or our, our relationships with one another. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. That is that what? That vertical relationship with the Lord. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those are those commands that deal primarily with each other and our dealings with one another. Now, all of these, of course, relate back to God. But it's an interesting way to see it. Romans really lays it out in Romans 13. Now, commands 6 through 10. Command 6 through 10 help us as a society to, to keep us from totally disintegrating. You ever thought about that? Listen to what Romans 10, or excuse me, Romans 13, 8 through 10 says. Oh, no man, anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So if you wanted to really summarize the Ten Commandments, love God, love others, love God, love others. And it's very, very plain there. Now, I remind you what I said at the very first uh, message in our series. This is going back to the very first. We introduced the Ten in commandments. I remind you what I said there. I said to you, these commandments, they are given to us out of a heart of love. They're given to us for our health, our happiness and our protection. They are boundaries that God has placed and put in place for our good. These are not God saying, listen, I want you to be miserable. I want you to, to just kind of just go through life uh, unhappy. No, I want you to have a great, joyful life. And here are some boundaries. Here are some things that of a heart of love that I give to you. I set in place that will help you to be healthy and happy and protected. Now, 1 John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. And so we look at this summary. Love God. Love love others. Now, let's go to this eighth commandment today. Where we find very plainly, very boldly, very clearly. God says, you shall not steal. And I know some of you are memorizing the commands. I want to commend you and encourage you. But on the count of three, when I count one, two, three, I want us to say those words. You shall not steal together. All right. You ready? One, two, three. You shall not steal. Now that's applicable to all of us. Now when I look at this command, only four words, right? You shall not steal. I see three types of people here. I see, first of all, owners. Owners, you say, oh, preacher. I look at Exodus twenty fifteen. I don't see it talking about owners. Really think about it. They're there. You see, this command assumes ownership. It assumes ownership. It reminds us of the right to possess personal property. It reminds us that everything doesn't belong to everybody. There are things that are yours, and there are things that are mine. My stuff is different from your stuff. This is a very important point. You see, if, if, if everybody were to have everything, you wouldn't need this command. Because there'd be no ownership, right? Everybody would own everything, and so there'd be no such thing as stealing. If all the stuff was everybody's stuff, there wouldn't be any stealing. He wouldn't say you shall not steal. But that's not the way things are. If you take my stuff, you're stealing. If I take your stuff, you're stealing. Or I'm stealing. I got confused. Say that again. You take my stuff, you're stealing. If I take your stuff, I'm stealing. There we go. There are things that belong to me and there are things that belong to you. The right of owning, possessing personal property. Everything doesn't belong to everybody. Now, let's just be even more plain about it. We call ourselves owners. And from a human standpoint, we understand what we're saying. But in all honesty, none of us really own anything. Psalm 24.1 says the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. First Corinthians 10.26 says for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Psalm 50.10 for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. And I know we've got some cattlemen among us. And as you go out and you drive around, you see the cattle. Remember, those are God's. Everything is God's. Everything that we think is ours, it's really his. Your house, your cars, your bank accounts, your children, it's all his. Christian, listen, he even owns you. He owns me. First Corinthians six, nineteen and twenty. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. That is the blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorifying God in your body and in your spirit, with your God's. We're just managers of what God has entrusted to us. So understand, as I use the term owners today, uh, from a human standpoint, we're owners. And God acknowledges that fact in this command that we have the right to personal property. Ultimately, everything is his and we only manage it for him. But in a sense, we are owners. We're stewards of God's possessions. Now, some of be think, oh, well, wait a minute. God didn't give me what I have. I work hard for what I've got, what I've obtained. God didn't give it to me. Let me remind you of Deuteronomy 8, 18. Real quickly, where it says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. See, He's the one that allows you to have that blood pumping through your body today, your lungs to be helping you to breathe today, the mind that you have that works today. He gives you strength. And so, yes, you may work hard, but God gives you the ability to work hard. There are owners here. There's a second type of people listed here in Exodus 2015, though, where it says you shall not steal. There are owners, but there's also takers. Takers. This is the reason for the eighth command, the takers. We might call them thieves, robbers, swindlers, burglars, on and on, crooks. There are those people who are waiting to take what belongs to you and to me. You know, Matthew six, the Lord Jesus is speaking. Matthew six, nineteen and twenty. Think about it in this regard, in this command. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, Jesus says, Where moth and rust doth destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. People steal that's an obvious point. I don't need to, I don't need to, to beat that burden here today. I, I don't have to convince you of that. And you can pick up a newspaper any day and you'll read it there in bold black and white. We know, we understand people steal. The young do it. The old do it. The middle aged do it. All kinds of people are thieves and robbers. <laughs> I heard about a little boy. And uh, he got caught stealing pencils from school. And when his father found out about it, his father exploded with anger. And he just he just lost it. Here's what he said to his son. Why'd you go and do something like that? If you need pencils, just tell me I can bring some home from work.
1: <laughs>
0: the apple didn't fall far from the tree, right? All kinds of people steal. Now, now most of us, we read this command and we say, this is one of those ones, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, I don't, uh, I'm not a thief. I'm not a thief. Well, the reality is stealing takes many shapes and forms in our world. It's not just people who dress in all black and creep inside people's windows late at night. Sometimes theft, it it slips in very subtly in our lives, in our hearts. and, And we may be guilty of this command and not even know it and not even realize it. As I studied various resources, there are many things mentioned. Here are some of the ways that stealing takes place in our lives. I already mentioned the one in the illustration. Cheating on taxes. That's stealing. Insurance fraud. Keeping something you borrowed. By the way, I feel if, if you've loaned me anything and I have to give it back, please tell me. I don't think. I try to be conscious of that. But keeping something. Can I borrow this and you never give it back? That's stealing. Failing to pay debts. Cheating in school, plagiarism, illegally copying software for your computer or maybe MP3s or songs. Not giving an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Playing and goofing off and, and not really earning your paycheck. Padding expense reports and putting down things that uh, you know are incorrect. Not reporting. This is one I remember when I worked in, in Bible college At the steakhouse, not reporting tips and wages or lying about just how much uh, you got in tips and that sort of thing. Uh, Getting too much change back after a purchase and keeping it. You say, oh, she accidentally gave me two fives. I was only due one five. Well, if you keep it and you know it, you're stealing. Uh, And of course, this list could go on and on and on and on and on. But the point is this. We may be guilty of breaking this command and, and not even realize it. Or maybe realize it and not even be bothered by it, really. What do we do? Maybe God, the Holy Spirit, has put his finger in your life today and you realize that you're guilty of breaking this eighth commandment. You realize you're guilty of stealing Well. Uh, First of all, you you need to, if you haven't already, you need to be saved. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, we know the Bible is very plain and clear that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none good, no, not one. There's none that doeth righteousness. That we can't work our way to heaven. We, we're not good enough. We're lost. We're condemned. We're doomed for hell. But he gave the Lord Jesus Christ. If we'll place our faith in him, turn from our sin to him, he will save us and forgive us and cleanse us of our sin. If you've never been saved today, let me invite you today. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. But then, if you are a child of God and you're guilty of. Stealing, you're guilty of this sin. What do you do? Well, first of all, you need to repent and confess. You need to agree with God what you're doing is wrong and turn away from it, repent of it, and then when possible, you need to make restitution. When possible, you need to make restitution. Now, it may have been a pack of bubble gum way back and and you can't make rest, but there are areas where you can make restitution. We see that in Zacchaeus' life. Remember Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Remember that? Uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And those two things went together. And he sought to see Jesus, uh, who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed to a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, "He's going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And by the way, the Lord Jesus, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he's still saving sinners. And I don't care who it is you think about, as the worst person you could ever imagine. Jesus died for that person. Jesus desires to save that person. We need to give them the gospel. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, look, Lord, I, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. If I've stolen anything, I give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And don't miss the point. Zacchaeus was not saved because he said, I'll make restitution. He was not saved because of that. But because he was saved, he said, I'll make restitution. Don't miss that point. Everybody's saved by grace through faith. We've been covering that on Wednesday nights in our study of Romans. Old Testament, everybody's saved by faith, by grace through faith. But because he was born again, he said, Lord, I want to make some things right. And maybe you need to make some things right. You need to make restitution. You shall not steal. We have owners, we have takers, but there's one more. You say, well, I I just don't see it, preacher where there's one more. And to get this third one, you have to go to the New Testament. I ask you to find Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, we find the full amplification of this this particular command. The full amplification of this command. You'll find it in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 28. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the Bible says, let him who stole, steal no longer. But it doesn't stop there. It says, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. You see, in the eighth command, you have owners and you have takers, but then the New Testament adds a third group to it, and that's the givers, owners, takers and givers. You see, we learn the opposite of stealing is not just not stealing. The opposite of stealing is giving. You might be thinking. Wow, how can the preacher move from the Ten Commandments to a a lesson on giving? He truly is a Baptist preacher, isn't he? Well, well look at it, beloved. It's not my idea. Look at the verse. Ephesians 4.28 Let him who stole steal no longer. You shall not steal. Stop stealing. But rather let him labor, working with his hands. What is good that he may have something to give him who has need. You see, there's one thing to stop and two, two things to start there. Number one, stop stealing. Stop stealing. And there's two things you're to do. You're to start working and start giving. Here's the idea. He talks about the hands there, working with the hands. The idea is this. The thieving hand is to become a working hand, which becomes a giving hand. That's the idea. In other words, don't be a taker. Be a worker and be a giver. You see, the opposite of. Stealing is not just not stealing, it's giving. Now, the question is are you a taker or are you a giver? Are you a generous person? Have you decided to choose generosity over greed? Have you decided to do that? You know, way back in Exodus and in our study, I, I encourage you to choose life. You shall not kill. Last week, I encouraged you to choose purity. You shall not commit adultery. Today, I want to encourage you to choose generosity. You shall not steal. Are you a generous person? Now, what's interesting is you know that God, in the Bible, He says He'd been robbed? Think about that. Interesting passage in the book of Malachi. God had been robbed. Malachi 3 8 through 10. The Bible says in Malachi 3 through 10, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you, God? How have we robbed you? I mean, think about it. Robbing God. How have we robbed you, God? Listen to what he says in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes to the storehouse that there may be food in my house And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts If I will not open for you the windows of heaven And pour out for you such a blessing That there will not be room enough to receive it Let's talk for a moment about the tithe T-I-T-H-E, the tithe What is a tithe? A tithe is 10% The idea is that we give, you and I are to give 10% of our income to the Lord Now listen I unapologetically preach and practice tithing. Unapologetically. It's not my idea, it's God's. And we've already established everything that we have is not ours, it's God's, right? He owns everything. But God says, listen, I want you to give back 10%, at least 10% of that. It's a matter of worship. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of submitting to His Lordship. It's saying, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to obey you. I look to you. You're the provider of everything that I have. You're the provider of all that I am and all that I possess. And so we give the tithe. Then we often call it tithes and offerings. Say, what's an offering? An offering is anything above the tithe. You say, wait a minute, preacher, that's the law. We're under grace. Well, thank God we're under grace. But you know what? Abraham gave his tithe. Way back in Genesis chapter 14, 430 years before the law was ever given, he gave a tithe. Genesis 14, 18 through 20 says this. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe. Of all. What did Jesus say about the tithe? Listen to Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now listen. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. I mean, they were very careful to give 10% of all those things. And it neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. He says you tithe these things, but you neglect the weightier matters. Listen to what he says. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He doesn't say you shouldn't have tithed. He says, listen, you should have done this, but not leave the other undone. So here's the question. How are we doing as a people of God? How are we doing? The tithe is the minimum. The tithe is the starting point in your giving. And by the way, that's what is a starting point. We should grow in it. How are we doing? How are we doing? Pastor Ronnie Floyd, in his new book, Our Last Great Hope Awakening the Great Commission, gives us some insight into this question. He writes According to 2009 figures, the average church member, the average church member, you ready? Gives 2.56% of his or her income to any church or charity. 2.5%. 2.56%. Let's just make that a little more plain, if we can. That's less than three pennies out of every dollar. Now, think about that. Less than three pennies out of every dollar, and that's to any church or any charity. That's their charitable giving. God's people are guilty of robbing God Now we rob God in other ways We rob Him of His glory We rob Him of His praise and so forth But He says specifically You're robbing me to those people You're robbing me in the tithes and offerings We are robbing God He's worthy of all honor and worship and praise and adoration I mean, we're to, we're to honor Him in everything We're to generously give to the Lord's work Bill Bright in his book on the Ten Commandments Tells about a true story that Paul Harvey once told. You know, the rest of the story. He said a woman called the Butterball Turkey Hotline. Did you know there was a Butterball Turkey Hotline? Did anybody ever called it? I might call it just for fun. That just sounds fun. I think it's around Thanksgiving. time. But she called the Butterball Turkey Hotline. Wouldn't you like to have that job? What do you do for a living? I work at the Butterball Turkey Hotline. But anyway, this lady called with a very unusual dilemma. She, she had a turkey. That had been in her freezer for 23 years. And she wanted to know was it safe to eat? That wasn't anybody here, right? All right. The butterball specialist. Wouldn't you love to have that title? The butterball specialist said the old bird would be edible only if it remained at zero degrees all these years. But he quickly added, the turkey would have probably lost its flavor and he would not recommend eating it. The lady said, that's what we thought. We'll just give it to the church.
1: <laughs>
0: well, bless her heart. I hope she would give it to the preacher. She wouldn't eat it. She wouldn't have anything to do with it. We'll give it to the church. I'll give it to God. In college, we used to call that sort of thing junk for Jesus. Be sure to save your used tea bags to send to the missionaries. Junk for Jesus. Somebody used to tell folks like that keep your junk. Our God deserves the best. He deserves the best. How how are you at giving? Yes, you. I'm talking to you today. May I take off my preacher cap for a moment and put on the pastor one? Just talk to you as your pastor for a moment. We want you to feel confident. And you're giving here at Red Hill. We're totally transparent. I know there are a lot of places you can give your money. And I want you to know that the money that you give here is being used around the world. Now, I say as you give here, you're touching the world with the gospel. You might think that's just a little phrase. No, it's not. Now see, we do keep a portion of what's given here. We have things that we have to pay for here. You know, the electric company wants their money. Our other providers wants their money. We do local missions right here in our community, in our county. We're busy at work right here at Red Hill, reaching folks with the gospel. Twice a year, we give away two full offerings. At Christmas time, we give a full offering to Lottie Moon. That is for international missions. At Easter time, we give an offering to Annie Armstrong for North American missions. And I praise God in this economy and the things that we're going through. We still have a a debt that we're trying to pay on our building. We're giving, if I'm not mistaken, and please correct me if I'm wrong, we have the largest offerings. My understanding, the largest offerings we've given to Lottie and Annie. There are are other mission items in our budget. We give to our local county association 5% of every undesignated dollar. We give to WMU North Carolina. We give to the North Carolina Missions Offering. We give to Outreach and Media. We're sending out CDs for our messages here to shut-ins and those who cannot go to church. And let me say thank you. It's a real blessing that they're telling us that. They're grateful that they're getting those. And they'll be listening to this later. And let me say to them, we're grateful we can do that for them. And we're a part of something, a wonderful thing called the cooperative program. You may have heard that term before, but you may not understand exactly what it is. That's how we support missions on a weekly basis through the cooperative program. It's the first thing in our budget. When you look at the budget, the very first thing listed and it's right there and it ought to be there because it's our very first priority. You see, out of every designated dollar that comes in, we give seven percent of it to the cooperative program. We're giving five cents to the Anson Association. We're giving seven cents to the cooperative program. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? What does that do? Well, we send seven percent to the Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. They keep a portion of that there. Then they send on a portion of it to the Southern Baptist Convention. And so you say, what does that do? Well, let me give you just a little bit here very quickly about what your money's doing. Because it's not about giving to those who have need. We're to labor and work with our hands and give to those who have need. What are some of the things that you're doing through your giving? I have a little track here from the Baptist State Convention called Cooperative Program Talking Points. Now, Now, this is a couple of years ago. I saw 2008. These numbers are slightly different, but they'll give you an idea of what we're doing. Did you realize as you give to Red Hill, you're helping to support the Baptist children's homes at this time? Two thousand needy children housing and clothing and care for these who are really in need. You're doing that as you give here. You're helping to plant new churches at this time. You're helping. And when this was written, youth programs, you're helping to carry on ministry in 37 college and universities across our state. You're helping with Christian counseling. You're helping with education. You're helping with missions. You're helping Baptist college students with scholarships. Those who go here can apply for different scholarships that go to certain schools. That's what's going on in our state. But then what goes on beyond that? When you give to your helping with our Southern Baptist seminaries. We have six seminaries at this time of the writing of this. 16,000 students being trained to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you go on in the SBC, the North American Mission Board, over 5,000 missionaries in the United States and Canada. And then yesterday, they sent me this from the International Mission Board. Did you realize as you give here, you're helping to support uh, 4,952 field personnel under the International Mission Board? Last year, they baptized in 2010, 360,879 people who came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you give here, when you give, you're helping with that. And listen to this. New churches, International Mission Board in 2010. Listen, 29,237 new churches. I say again, when you give here locally at Red Hill Baptist Church, you're touching the world with the gospel. You're reaching out to those in need. You're caring for those. You see, the opposite of stealing is not just not stealing, it's giving. It says, let him that stole still no more, let him work, let him lay with his hands, that he has to give to those who have need. I don't know about you, but I'm excited when I give to Red Hill. Because I realize when I, when I put an offering and I put my tithe in at Red Hill, I'm literally involved in work around the world. Because it all didn't stay here. And I, I've got a part in that. And that's exciting to me. And I want it to be exciting to you. You can give in this one local place, and and, and so many needs, and so many entities, and so many ministries are going on, and they're all gospel centered. That's the most exciting. There are a lot of charities do a lot of wonderful work, but as I told our leadership team, as we met the other night to plan on our calendar, we're different. Why? Because we're here as a church. We're to glorify God. We're to be gospel centered. We're to be getting out the gospel. And so to be able to touch people in all these areas of need and be gospel centered, stealing a sin, stop it. That's what God says. Giving is a delight. Start doing it. We don't start with our giving of our money, though. Did you know that? We don't start there. We start by giving ourselves. Let me give you a couple passages and we're almost done. Second Corinthians eight, four through five. Imploring us a bunch of urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Romans 12, chapter one, uh, chapter 12, verse one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You give yourself. You give yourself. See, when you give God yourself, everything else follows. Now, I know we have some very generous givers here, and I want to thank you and I want to encourage you. And I'll be honest, with you: I don't know about you personally. I don't know what you give and I don't want to know that's between you and God. But I don't apologize for emphasizing giving here. You see, God's word is clear. We're touching the world with the gospel. He wants tithes and offerings We're honest, I believe, in our stewardship here at uh, Red Hill. We're wise in our stewardship. Our books are audited as outlined in our Constitution and bylaws. The record keeping is accurate. The financial statements are made available. Jesus Christ is the focus of what we're doing here. And I say again, you can feel confident in giving here, knowing that as you give here, the money you give is touching the world with the gospel. Three types of folks your Owners. Takers and givers. Now, here's the question. Which describes you? Which describes you? Are you an owner of God's good gifts and you're a giver? Or are you a taker? What is God saying to you? See, there's so much here in these four little words. You shall not steal. The New Testament amplifies this. Listen, let him that steal, steal no more. But rather, let him labor. Let him work. He may give. But the thieving hand becomes a working hand, which becomes a giving hand. I say, beloved, choose generosity. Choose generosity. Let's bow our head and close our eyes before we pray and have our song of invitation. I appreciate your patience today. You need to be saved today. Would you come? The moment we sing, would you step out and Come and meet me here. Let me allow, allow me to put someone with you to share the gospel and answer questions. Would you do that today? Maybe you repent of theft in your life. Maybe you're guilty of stealing. You need to repent of that and make restitution. Maybe you just begin giving today. And that begins by giving yourself to the Lord and then giving the tithe. Maybe God has burdened your heart today to give. You say, well, we've already taken up the offering. That's fine. These offering plates are still here. During the invitation time, maybe God has placed upon your heart a burden to give. Maybe to start giving. Maybe you're withholding your time and you need to give. giving that. Feel free to walk up during the invitation time and to worship Him as you give. Or come back to the service before the ladies and those who are responsible for counting, count the money. And put your gift in the offering plate. Maybe there's been a long conversation between you and your spouse this afternoon about your giving and your generosity. Maybe you're guilty of not tithing. Maybe it needs to change right now. I know it needs to change right now, Christian. Would you allow the God, the Holy Spirit to work in your life and have his willing way? Whatever the need today, the altar is open. We invite you to come. Father, we love you. We honor and adore you. Glorify your name in this place. Glorify your name in this invitation time. Help us, Lord, to choose generosity. Choose to be givers. Choose to pour out our lives as an offering of sweet incense to you. Thank you for allowing us to have so many good things. All good gifts are from you. Lord, we realize and recognize and acknowledge your ownership again today. Thank you for the way you're working. Work now, I pray. If someone's lost, bring them today. If someone's sinning in regards to stealing, bring them to repentance today. Work and move, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, 606. I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given to me? 606. Again, the offer is open to be saved today. You can come pray today. You want to come give yourself a fresh You want to give an additional offering today. Whatever it is God wants you to do, you come out, you step out, and obey Him. 606. Let's stand and sing. I gave my life for thee. 606.